Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Honestly, they give the microphone to anyone in church these days. It's really easy to get the microphone in church these days. And um, um, some of, one or two people have come to me and said, listen, we've never seen Tyler with a girlfriend. It's okay. She is real. Many of us have seen her in the flesh. She's real. She's just a part of the Milnerton community and went with the planning team with Milnerton. So she's there involved in the community. So there is a girlfriend. It is real. It's all good. We've checked. Good. And uh, <laughs> the other thing, shoes are not the only thing Lee's got recently. Yeah? There's, a, there's a bubba on the way. And I personally have prayed and placed an order for a drummer. (laughs) We're allowed to ask God for things. It's important. But this morning, we are finishing this amazing series, Jesus Plus Nothing, through the book of Galatians. And I trust it's been as amazing for you as it has for me. I've made a mandate in my own life to once a year personally do a study through this amazing book. And I think I realize because the themes are so universally important for us as God's house and His people that actually we need to make sure that we are diving into it intentionally at least once a year. And um, it's an incredible thing. We started out, we said, oh, let's do it. It'll be a six to eight week series. It's been more like a 14 week series. Luther preached it for years, like eight years or something. And so many others, Lloyd-Jones, many, many others. So it's an incredible privilege and we've absolutely loved it. And I want to encourage you that actually go on this journey and keep going on this journey in the Word of God. What I've loved about the Galatians series is that to get in, you've actually got to do some work. You've actually got to understand some context. You've got to make sure that you delve into the Word of God and you feast on it. And I would encourage you, don't stop that. Please. I I realize for many, and I I said at the Doing Theology course on Thursday night, many abdicate the journey to someone else. Meaning... Doing theology or engaging this incredible book of life that God has given us is so full of life and power, but so many are prepared to allow someone else to climb the mountain that it demands, like doing the work and getting up early and the disciplines. we, We allow someone else to climb that mountain. We allow someone else to go up. We allow someone else to go up with their camera and take photos of the journey and when they get to the top. And we are quite happy in a McDonald's generation to sit back sometimes and just see their photos and think that we're getting the full experience. And I would say we're not. You don't get the smells. You don't get the taste. You don't get the the situation, the difficulty sometimes of navigating through. And God reveals sometimes in the slipping and the sliding, climbing that mountain. God's saying, actually, I want you to go up. And yes, I am calling it climbing a mountain because for me it's been that. I'm not good in an office. I'm not good with four walls, a door, and myself. That's not a a good, happy place for me all the time. I love... Being distracted, it's like the best thing in the world for me. And so sitting in a room and saying, I'm going to sit and read now, yes. And I've had to find an appetite, but you know what the greatest lure in there is Jesus. The greatest, the greatest reason I need an appetite is Jesus. I find Jesus in Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, everywhere he's there. So keep going on that journey. But we've had an incredible journey, and maybe we can pop up this slider, and I'd love to encourage you. There, there's incredible resources and tools. Um, maybe we can pop up slide three, Fritz. Um, as we go into this journey, I want to remind us of some of the journey we've been on as 
Many would say, actually, part of the challenge with this book is Paul's tone is emotional. He's angry. And I've said to you, he's a father fighting for the freedom of his children. And he starts out, you see him on the top left there saying, no, I've come back all these years later. And you are listening to a different gospel. It's not Jesus plus a little something makes no difference. Maybe a little bit more. We've said, actually, it's Jesus plus anything doesn't make more perfection. It brings disaster. There's only one gospel, and it rests on one thing, the blood and perfection of Jesus Christ. And he goes on this journey, and, and he reminds him of who he is and the journey of being. Maybe the next slide, we get on to chapter 3 and 4, and we realize actually he takes them through the picture of Abraham and, and the faithfulness of God in that story and how God had to fight for freedom and continue to bring freedom in God's people. And actually the issue is the law is there not as something that should be a noose around people's neck, but a guide with the Spirit of God giving us power to live a life that brings glory to God. Sin is not okay. But the power of the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit is far stronger if you would surrender to that power, that love, and that grace. And go on that journey with Jesus. And the last two chapters, these guys summarized and they said, actually, there's a journey to actually, as God is creating his family, he is released. The next one, sorry, Fritz. One more. Um, that they, the issue is the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's an old humanity that gets thrown out and we get filled with the Spirit of God and the power of His Spirit comes inside of us and enables us to walk this road. And grace gets revealed to us in power. And the reality that we can live victorious lives in Jesus gets revealed to us and gets given to us when we take one truth and one truth alone, Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. And... Um, I think it's beautiful. And we continue today. And there were three reasons we said right up front that Galatians is important. I want to remind us of those. Number one, it clearly demonstrates the essence of Christianity. You know, the challenge in much of the church and a nation like our own is most people who are probably over 30, 35 years have some experience of church or some understanding of the gospel at least. Your six, seven years, eight-year-olds, they got no idea these days. Actually, many of your teenagers, they don't know David and Goliath. They, they don't know. They think it's a nice book written that sells books on bestsellers. And they don't know who that is. They've got no concept. Jesus is just a guy. It's just a name some old people throw around. They have no clue. So, but many do come, and they get that Christianity has many different experiences. And we start preaching a book like Galatians. It reveals and exposes stuff in our own hearts that we believe or have allowed ourselves to believe. Sometimes it's hearsay. Sometimes it's a line we picked up in a movie. We've got to get into the Word and say, God, who do you reveal yourself as? Secondly, it smashes legalism in the body of Christ. Legalism is not okay. It's not okay that we hold on to a role and a right, and I'm doing this thing right, and it's all about the power of my ability to do it right. Actually, the issue is do it right, but do it because He gives you the power. Do it right because He gets glorified, and do it right because you're just a son trying to please His Father. Or a daughter trying to please her father. A relationship. Did you get that picture in worship? Sorry, I didn't explain it very well. But, but you know, I, I, even these days I see young guys saying, hey, I'd love a wife, love a wife. But it's like you get to a party and they stand in the corner, just back against the wall. I'm very cool. <laughs> just, if you want a wife, get on the front foot and go and say Hello. Don't Facebook poke her, don't send her a message, don't stalk her on Instagram. You've got to get on the front foot and walk across the room. The reason I use that image. 
um, is for no one specific, but just because our relationship with Jesus demands sometimes that we aren't in a posture of, well, I'm here if he gets me. He's got the Holy Spirit. He can get me. Jesus says, actually, we desire him. In the knowledge of what he's done, will you desire him? Will you run towards him? And will you keep running towards him? Maybe in worshiping in church for 40 years and you've sung these songs like, shucks, why are they singing that chorus one more time? I'm going to go mad. No, it's not about the chorus. It's about who you're singing to. <laughs> and then Christianity has no ethnic, nationalistic, or cultural walls. And the church keeps trying to put them up. We've got to break them down. We've got to keep breaking them down and understand the freedoms that God has given us that enable us to keep breaking down the rules rather than put them up. I love it that Tyler gets up and says, actually, if you've got no clue of fasting, that's really cool, but we want to help you. Because why? Because all of a sudden, now you're on the in crowd because you know what fasting is. It can't be. You've got to help people journey those journeys. I want to read the last section of Scripture from Galatians 6. Actually, can we stand together? I know we've done a bit of standing Exercise is good for us. Some of you were shouting for boxes this morning. So we need to shake that off. Verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Take your seats, please. He starts out and he says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. There was a culture in those days. Paul would have been sitting down in a lazy boy maybe of his time. And he would have had a scribe writing out as he dictated these letters to Galatia. But then he changes right at the end. He, says, he takes the pen and in big letters he writes. See, I'm writing. I want, to, I want you to get this part. I want you to get with all. You know in a book, I mean, we've all done it. Book review for school, read chapter one. Read the last chapter. You've got the book. No, some of you are like, no, never did that. Read every line. But this is the final chapter. He says, give me that pen in my own hand. So the people, when they see the letter in Galatia, remember it was a letter. It wasn't printed. It was a letter written to a people. He writes, he says, in big letters, I want you to get this. And he continues and he, and he says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Remember, this has got nothing to do with circumcision. It's not about, now Mark said circumcision is a bad thing. No, relax. It's like that guy Paul had a really bad experience when he was circumcised. It's not why he's fighting it. He's fighting it because there's a cultural norm that's become part of the church that says actually it's Jesus plus this little cultural norm called circumcision. And if you just do that, then you've covered everything. And Paul's saying, no, this has got nothing to do with it. It's all Jesus. 
And we have a propensity, particularly within the church, this letter was written to the church, saying within the church we have a propensity to like to add a little bit. It makes us feel that little bit more special, that little bit more, and we kind of help Jesus. Actually, when we add to what Jesus has done, what we are saying is, Jesus, what you did wasn't really enough. It was like a solid 98%. But you needed me for the last two. I mean, you know. Paul's fighting. He says, no, 100% Jesus. And what he's presenting here is he's saying there, there is this presented version of an upgrade of Christianity that looks very attractive, but it's not authentic. It's, it's not authentic. And he comes in as a father fighting for truth. He says, guys, I want you on the authentic Christianity. I don't want you to settle for any, any inauthentic upgrade. It's not an upgrade at all. He's saying that circumcision actually, for those around you, might make a good impression. See, even something like fasting, guys. Here's the challenge because it's so deep inside our hearts. A church can fast and look really righteous about their fasting. We can do it and we tell everyone we're fasting. Why do you think the Bible tells us that? Don't tell anyone. But we want to do it together, so you've got to make an announcement. Oh, they didn't know we were fasting. They obviously weren't praying. No, even something like fasting could be the issue of circumcision. If you're loud in your heart and somehow, well, I fasted, look how holy I am. And, God, and Paul's fighting, he's saying, no, no, no. All that does is it nullifies the power of the gospel and your ability to walk in the fullness of the gospel. And I want that for my sons and daughters. I want that for the children of God. And the message of the cross. In verse 13, he continues, says, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast in your circumcision of the flesh. He's saying the real motivation of a legalist, even when ultimately they fail in their own ability because no man's going to walk sinless. Ultimate, therefore, and then that time is to call people to some kind of pseudo-Christianity. That we just add this and we'd, it would be more acceptable by culture. And in this context, in Galatia, the context was, well, actually, Christians were persecuted. So why don't we become more like the Jews and just bring our Christianity into Judaism and have the sign of Judaism and that way we won't be persecuted. That way we'll be celebrated more. That way we'll be more acceptable to the people. There's a temptation in every one of our hearts to allow those things to come in our lives. If I just allow that thing, if I just have those extra three drinks, these guys won't think that I'm a prude. I'll have a gospel opportunity in their life. Guys, how do I know that? Because I've done it. I was at 19 years old, never getting a road of working out who I am, who is Jesus, and what is this life. And God says, and I want to fill you with my spirit and power because I want you to live victorious lives where your friends and your family and the redemptive potential of your life run to the King of Kings because He is their only hope. In a world that has no hope, they need to find it's not about drinking, it's not about circumcision, it's not about fasting, it's about Jesus and only Jesus. And our likeness to him as we journey with this spirit. The difference to the world that he's talking about is not an external standard. It's a conformance to be like Jesus first internally. First where our, our hearts and the motivations of our hearts are delivered and driven by a desire to please the king of kings. And a desire to love our father because he's done so much for us. 
And secondly, the, the, the implication is my internal gospel is an inside-out gospel. It's not an outside-in. Well, fix someone up first. Get them off all their bad habits. Fix them all up. Get the, I don't like tattoos, so take their tattoos off them and take their clothes and make them stop rapping. <laughs> not presents, like rapping. <laughs> Some of you, like rapping is demonic. No, it's not. Ed Sheeran does a little rap, and he's redhead. He can't be demonic. He's like Gabe. And, um, but God deals with our insides, and then our external reality start responding to what Jesus and the Holy Spirit does inside of us. And it's a response rather than a reaction. It's the privilege of the gospel in our lives. But here's where I want to land, and here's where I'm pumped. If you thought I was pumped already, put your seatbelts on. Verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The message puts it this way. For my part, this is Paul, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Don't you want to be set free from pleasing others? Don't you want to be set free from the patterns you decide to fall into because it feels like you have to, to be part of the crowd? I want to be free of that. I've had to go on a journey most of my life for that thing. It's tough. So who boasts? It, it starts young. Here's my little champion here. I'm not sure why he's in church and not Sunday school, but it's great to have you, buddy. But he won a rugby award, I don't know, 18 months ago. The thing was as big as him. So it had to be placed at the entrance. You literally walk in the house, the first thing you see, for six months, because you got to keep it for six months. So, and the reality is we have a propensity, a desire. We want people to know what we've achieved. And then Ben comes home, and he's in grade R, so they don't get awards, but they get badges, like the, the, the good friend badge. Look at me, Dad, I've got the good friend badge. First thing, he walks in the house. Not, how are you, Dad? Not, what's happening? Just, look at me. Why? Because it's deep inside of us. We're figuring out who we are, and as we go on that journey, we're wanting people to see because somehow we think these things make us better. And Paul's saying, actually, the issue is not boasting. The issue is of what you boast in and who you boast about. This Mayweather-McGregor fight has been an interesting insight into our world. Justin. I mean, what is that? Some Irishman walking around his green undies. Wow. But it's... <laughs> yes, I did the walk. But it's hundreds of millions of dollars that could literally fix hunger in countries thrown at two men because of a marketing campaign and their absolute arrogance about how amazing they are. They're just men who God gifted with good cohorts. They're just men who at the dead of night, when no one's around, are insecure about what happens when it fails, like their body and their six-packs and everything. They're just men. And we have a world that celebrates and celebrates boasting. We love it. We love it. We've got to understand that actually, even in this thing and all these challenges and, and where guys take bags and it's hundreds of dollars, and I'm going, there are people starving. And the world celebrates that. We've got to understand God's got to re-engineer us back into his kingdom. 
take us back into his story and he pulls us in. And the only way we do that, Paul, ends with a big song is to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Why the cross? See, he could have said, just boast in Jesus. And, and he could have said, you know what, if we just boasted in Jesus, well, there's a whole bunch of things we could have boasted in. We could have boasted in his, uh, I'm trying to find the notes, we could have boasted in his life that he lived. His incarnation. We could, could boast in that and the power and the miracles he did just as a man full of the Spirit of God operating as God on earth. We could have boasted in that. We could have boasted in his ascension. It's pretty wow. I mean, this world gets captivated by people who fall out the sky. Our king went the other way. If YouTube was a thing, it would have been a big thing. We could have boasted in the fact that he's coming again. We could boast in all these things. And Paul, the apostle, says, actually, I need you to know that the only thing that sustains me in my journey is a boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know what the absolute scary thing about that? It's like saying, I'm boasting in the electric chair. It's the same as saying, I exalt only in the gas chamber. Because sometimes we like to and we can't face up to the reality, but it was unbelievably brutal and unbelievably gruesome. It's like saying I exalt in the lynching rope. Now my Savior died a death that I wouldn't have been able to watch. I, I can barely watch some of that stuff when it's not real. But my Savior died a death that his own disciples had to stand around and watch and they wouldn't have been able to. They'd have just run. And if we were forced to watch it in real life, the perfect Lamb of God, perfect, slain and beaten and whipped. Paul says, boast in that. Boast in it, exult in it, rejoice in it, and that alone. Charles Spurgeon says this, to live for personal glory is to be dead while we live. Be not so foolish as to perish for a bubble. Man, many a man has thrown his soul away for little honor or for the transient satisfaction of success in trifles. Don't boast in your ability to pull this holiness thing off, because Jesus does that anyway for you. Don't boast in your ability to have restraint in moments, because the Holy Spirit does that too. Don't boast in your growth or your sanctification and the, the fact that you used to be this and now you're this. No, boast in that Jesus got stuck into the mess of your life and is so committed to your story that he poured his blood, his grace, his mercy into you and now you are able to walk a life because of him and him alone. That's what Paul's saying to us and he's shouting it to us in big, bold letters if we can see them. See, Paul could have boasted himself in many things. He, he lived a life, he, he could have boasted in the fact that actually he could have been represented as one of the most honorable rabbis in the story. Philippians 3, he lays it out. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says, I could have boasted in that. Verse 7 says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake 
of knowing Christ. He could have boasted in the sufferings for the cross. He had been whipped and beaten. He says in this, let's read this, 2 Corinthians 11, because sometimes as Christians, maybe you walk with the Lord a long time. Well, I've sown and I've given and I've loved and I've had people in my home and they've ripped me off and I've had people come into my home for life group and they use all my two-ply, all my Milo, all my coffee, and then it goes on and eventually you sit back and you try to do the sums and you can't. Well, the reality is you're not called to do the sums. You're not giving it to them. You're giving it to him as an offering. But Paul gave his life. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 11, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. He's making a mockery of their boasting by bringing his boasting. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He's saying this is crazy, but we do it anyway. He says, I am more, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in the danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and gone without food. I have been cold and naked. He says, but I boast in one thing, just one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ, a gruesome act that bought my freedom. Hello, what? You've got to process this question for yourself. What do you boast in, sir, man? What are you boasting? Or are you honest enough to go, actually, it's just the goodness of God. Just the favor of God, just his grace, just the fact that he, he encountered me. See, one of the things that I think is one of the dangers in the church today is Paul could have boasted in the fact that he'd had river, visions and revelations of heaven. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, and most commentators will say he's speaking about himself, he says, I must go on boasting. He's again making an issue of this thing. He says, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go into visions and revelations from the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. And most commentators say he's speaking about himself, but he's trying to be humble and he's trying to keep himself out of the light. So he's saying, I know a guy. You know that hypothetical question? Hypothetically speaking. No, he's saying, actually, I know a guy who went into the third heaven. We've got, to be a, we've got to be really careful when we throw around our experiences of God and we throw around things, not because we didn't have them, but because ultimately they are only there so you can encounter God more and other people can find Him. They are not there to bring you glory. Honestly, I spend hours in God's Word. I love spending time in His presence. I've seen many amazing things. I've had the privilege of prophesying silly things like, like locations that things happen and God did stuff in their life. But I promise you this, I'm very careful about when I say the words, God has said. Or, God spoketh to me last night in the twelfth hour. <laughs> I'm not saying He doesn't. Just saying how I use that is really important. See, He didn't glory in Jesus' life he gloried in Jesus' death, the lowest point of his ministry. He says, may I never boast. The cross of Jesus Christ. 
And Paul's point is the history of grace begins earlier, way before the cross. And, and it goes on way later. But in the middle stands this one thing, the cross. And two eternities hinge on that one act, the cross of Jesus Christ. I love Isaac Watts' song, and we sing it. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ, my God. We sing these songs sometimes so globally, and we've got to realize Paul's calling us to something so much more. How could he say this? Because you're dealing with a guy who did a 180 turn in his life overnight. Now, I wish every salvation story was like that, but it's not. But his was. He says, I had it all, and then I counted Jesus. I was blind. He opened my eyes, and I could see. I'm never going back. And I'm not even going to get something like boasting, go back, unless I'm boasting in the glory of God. Why did Paul choose the glory of the cross? Just a few suggestions. Because he made a choice to boast in the cross. Why? Because Jesus counted the cost before he went to that cross. Here's the thing. This is what the cross was. All the sins of humankind, of humanity, all of them, presented before a law court where the judge is God. And the judge says guilty. Completely, unequivocally guilty. And the judge hands down the sentence, death. And then the judge gets off, walks into the booth, says, you leave. I'm going to take the sentence for you. The cross is a just God who should pour out wrath and anger, but instead gave his son so that the most broken, the most proud, the most arrogant can run into something we use so glibly sometimes called the grace of God. That is unbelievably powerful. Romans 5 says, But while God demonstrates his own love for us in this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We live with the time, I've got to do something. And, and just even a little to initiate his love. And the Bible says he's already done it. I want to tell you that I believe Paul understood his debt of guilt. We sang it this morning. He understood the debt. And he understood that it was the, Jesus and the cross of Jesus was the only hope for this world. Don't be rattled by economies. I'm not saying don't pray for our nation. I'm not saying don't read the statistics and face up to them. But don't allow them to steal the hope that you have. Don't allow conversations that you sit in to unnerve you and bring you anxiety in the middle of the night. Why? Because none of us, none of it at all can affect the power of the cross. None of it. We have to allow the cross to break open in our lives. And the challenge of Paul breaks into our story. John Piper puts it this way. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you have to know the few great things that, ma that matter and then be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by a few great things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop, 
to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on for centuries and into eternity. You don't have to have a high IQ or EQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches. You don't have to come from a fine family or a fine school. You have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things and be set on fire them, by them. What do you know today, believer? Maybe you're visiting today and you haven't made that decision to bow your knee to Jesus and allow him to become Lord and Savior. I trust you would make that decision today. But I want to speak to the believers. What do you know? What do you, what do you know? Yeah, the wind's blowing. What do you know? Yeah, but the, the storm's coming. No, what do you know? No, but finances, no, no, what do you know that will make a difference into eternity? Maybe that difference is one person who will watch you walk. One person will be attracted by the something in your life. Just one person. Maybe it's hundreds. Maybe God, when you allow him to get so deep down inside, he will spark imagination, thoughts, and he's got a whole journey for you. But what do you know? Because Paul's saying, Jesus plus nothing. That's what I know. Paul's saying, nothing, not my efforts, only his efforts. Saying nothing, not my years of faithfulness and my sowing and giving of my time, my energy, my resources. No, no, nothing. No, everything and every bit of his faithfulness. Nothing, no, nothing of my overcoming. Or I overcame that and I have overcome these addictions, these challenges. No, no, you didn't. He overcame it and you plugged into the resources of heaven because of the cross. He's the overcomer. He says, no, nothing, no, not the hope I have in my ability. Well, if it doesn't work, I, I could do this. I can make a plan. I can make a deal. I can do this. No, not your plan or your deal. His ability that was fought for, and he is the hope of the world that died for you on a cross. Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Savior, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I might gain Christ. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. There's more glory about one nail of the cross than about all the scepters of all kings. Just one nail. And those nails were driven in by the hand of a created being into their creator. And our sin did it. Please don't abdicate it to someone else. That guy, that drug dealer, that business fraud guy, that. No, don't abdicate it to someone else. Take it on yourself and then realize only when you do that can you fully, fully understand the power of his grace, the wonder of his blood that was spread. And as we take of his blood and his body, can we fully, fully comprehend of what the freedom that he purchased for us actually was.